Welcome to Grace Family Church. We are so glad you decided to check out our podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching from Pastor Tommy will encourage your faith and lead you towards the greatness God has planned for you. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy this message. All right, I want to jump into today's message. Um, how many of you have enjoying this series on love? Um, I don't know about you, but for me, you know, um, I just feel like I'm growing from it. I feel like I'm, you know, God is challenging me. And I'm growing as an individual spiritually in the direction God wants me to grow in. I said, you know, if you apply these messages over the next many weeks, uh, you'll, you'll wake up from these and look back and say, man, I'm different. I'm a different person. And, you know, that's the goal. You know, I think the goal is not to stay the same. You know, a lot of times we look at different people and say, well, you know, uh, that's not my type of person. Well, maybe you need to meet somebody that's not your type of person. Maybe they rub the shoulders with you and rub off some of the bad stuff and encourage you in the good stuff, and all of a sudden you become a better person, right? Because you met somebody different. Um, and so, you know, love has that same capacity. As we apply the scripture to ourself, it has the capacity to change us. And that's really what this is all about. And so we're reading John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35 as our foundational text. So we'll read that, and then let's just believe God together for what he has for us today. Verse 34 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Let's pray before we begin. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the truth that's in it, and I just ask you to help me deliver your word to your people. Uh, Get me out of the way, and Holy Spirit, just speak through me. And I thank you that anything I've planned to say that's not from you, you just remove it from the plan today and that, if, and that just exactly what you want us to learn as a body of believers will come across in what is shared this morning and we'll give you all the praise and glory for it. And I thank you by the end of it, we'll be able to say we're better because we came to church today. So I give you praise and thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we've said every week that this, is, this love subject is the greatest subject that we can understand and walk in. To know and to show God's love is what we're called to as believers. Jesus said that here. He said that the, gra- the greatest commandment, the commandment for believers today is not to not do something and not do this and not do that. It's simply to show the love of God. And matter of fact, notice what he says there. He says, it's by this that men will know you're my disciples You know, there are lots of things that the scripture says will follow the believer. And there are lots of things he's called us to. How many of you realize he's called us to walk in love, lay hands on the sick, pray for him, preach the gospel, all of those things we're called to do. Uh, And those things will follow us as we're a believer. But the, the, the thing that will stand out and cause you to be recognized as unique and different is as if you show them love. That's what Jesus said from his very lips. This is how men will know. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 14 tells us this should be our top pursuit as believers. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1 says, eagerly pursue and seek to acquire this love. Make it your aim and your great quest. And so walking in this kind of love, living in this kind of love, expressing this kind of love, that should be our great quest. I love the way the Amplified says it. It should be our great quest in life. What that tells me is that should be our highest priority. When we get up every day, you know, sometimes we get involved in the rat race of life. You know what I mean by that, right? You get up and you think about all the stuff you got to do and you got to accomplish. Those are things we got to do throughout the day. But our goal should be before our feet even hit the floor, when our eyes open, Lord, help me be a greater example of your love. If I do that today and I accomplish nothing else, then I will have had a successful day. But I promise you this. 
We've seen it in Scripture. If you will make loving others and showing others the love of God as we're learning what it is in these, these, this series, all the rest will take care of itself. So we're called to walk in this love. It's the great quest of this ministry. Our ultimate goal is for each person here at the end of, you know, we meet friends, worship God, hear the word, be a blessing. That's our tagline, right? It's all designed that we would all grow together to a point that we become a blessing to others. And so that's what we're called to, to develop a group of believers that are uncommon. How many, everybody say uncommon. Everybody say uncommon. You know, to develop a group of people that are uncommon in the world. You know, as I look around me, and, you know, and matter of fact, even uncommon in Christian circles in a lot of places, right? I mean, where our mindset is, Lord, I love people so much that I'm going to think about them before I think about me. Uh, I'm going to put them first before uh, I put myself first. And so we've been endeavoring to grow in that love so that when people look at us individually and when people look at us as a, as a reflection of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, they say, man, that's different. That's really different. Those group of people are not like people I meet every day. And I would tell you this, if you don't stand out as different, you might want to check your love walk. Because, you know, when he says we're a peculiar people, it, we're peculiar. How many of you know some peculiar people this morning? First Peter says we're a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. You know, but the reason we're peculiar is because we live differently in the world than people live in the world. And yet, if you're not living differently in the world, then you're not peculiar. So I would tell you, are you doing uncommon things and making uncommon choices that would cause somebody to say, man, I don't even register right with my mind. They're different, right? Because that's what peculiar means, sort of cause you to stop and take attention. And so we're called to, to walk in this kind of love. So we've been talking about what this kind of love is and, and, and how we live it out. And so just in review real quickly, uh, one of the things we pointed out early on is that love puts others first. Love puts others first. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. That word preferring means to put them first. You know, I use the analogy in that series, in that message when I taught on that. If you go to lunch today and they say, Do you want sweet or unsweet tea? If that were your only choices and you said sweet, well, what did you do? You preferred sweet over the unsweet. Well, that's what this verse says. It says, When you walk in love, you're preferring them over yourself. You're putting them first. And so love makes decisions that puts the other person first. How I many of you know that's uncommon? Matter of fact, our flesh and our mind, as soon as we hear that, the first thing we say, well, what, what about me? What about me? What about me when in thinking about putting others first is the product of an unrenewed mind? <laughs> and we need to understand that. So real love says, I'm going to put you first. Second thing is, we pointed out, is that love considers others in all of its decisions. You know, uh, Romans chapter 13 and verse 10 says, love worketh no ill, no ill towards his neighbor. So what that basically says is, is love won't do something that will harm someone else. And yet well, many times in our life, we make decisions that are best for number one, not thinking about the impact it could have on everybody else. You know, Paul prayed over in Ephesians, he prayed that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would know the hope of God's calling, and that we would understand, and then he used this phrase, the height, the depth, the breadth, and the width, and to know the love of God. See, what he was saying was, is that we would, we would walk in love so much that we would not see uh, life just from our perspective. We'd see it from every angle, the height, the depth, the width, the breadth, that we would see, okay, how is this decision I'm about to make going to impact everybody else? 
How is this decision that I'm about to make going to impact those around me? How is it going to affect them? And what, Rome, what that verse says that we just read is, is it will consider that and say, you know what, if it's going to hurt them but help me, I can't make that choice if I'm going to walk in love. Really quiet in this church this morning. Love doesn't make choices that would harm others. Love makes choices that would be a blessing to others. You say, is there ever a reason why we, wouldn't make a, um, um, we would make a choice that would harm someone else? Well, according to Scripture, love doesn't do that, right? Right? That's uncommon. You say, well, what about me? Unrenewed mind. Look at your neighbor and say, unrenewed mind. Right? So we're called to walk in love and not make, de- make decisions that are based on really contemplating and, 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 and evaluating. How is this decision I'm about to make? See, we, we live in a world that doesn't do that. This is how we become uncommon. We even, we even have, you know, in our churches today, that's the mindset. What, you know, our, you know, what am I getting from my church, right? And if I'm not getting what I need from my church, I'm going to go consume from somebody else who'll give me what I need. That's, and you know, sometimes you have to make choices for yourself, but I'll tell you this. Many, many times when we make those choices, we should stop and consider and ask ourselves the question, maybe in that scenario, the need that I'm seeing is something God wants me to address by meeting the need myself, right? Because that's what love would do, all right? But anyway, next, so third thing we learned is this. We learned that love, and we touched on this last week, and we touched on it so much that I couldn't finish my message last week. Love doesn't seek to avenge itself. Romans chapter 12 and verse 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And so in a nutshell, what we said was this verse is not saying, I'm not going to get even because God's going to get even. That's what a lot of people read that verse, right? They read it that way to say it means, you know, God says, don't get even because I'll get them for you, right? That's not what that verse says. That word, that word actually says, uh, give place unto wrath. That word give place means to relinquish from yourself wrath. So what he's saying is, he's saying in the, in the moment where you're wronged and you're done wrong and you want to you get even. You ever been there? How many ever had that happen in your life? You just want to get even. I mean, whether it's slapping them in the face or wishing ill on them, right? You want to get even. It says, in the event you find yourself in that situation, don't give place, uh, relinquish from yourself that wrath. Why? Because God says, vengeance is mine. Now, that would sound like he's saying, because I'm going to get them for you. But what he's saying is vengeance is mine, but as we look at what vengeance was, vengeance is a mindset that, that actually brings out punishment or judgment for a wrongdoing. And what he says there is he says, don't you give place to wrath because vengeance is mine, and according to Scripture, until Jesus returns and we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he's not judging anybody and dishing out judgment. So he says, you give, play, you, get, you give way, don't let that wrath get, get a hold of you because I'm not judging people other and I'm not venging out on other, seeking vengeance on others either. There'll come a day where they're judged and the clock runs out on their life. But what am I doing today? The Bible says God is full of mercy and long-suffering that we would come to repentance. So he says, don't give place to wrath Because I don't give place to wrath, even though vengeance is in my hand to dish it out. And then he goes on to say, vengeance is mine, and then he says, I will repay. And a lot of people think that means, well, you see, God will repay them for what they did, right? And that's not love. If he was saying that, that's like you still want them to get theirs, right? That's not walking in love. What he's saying is, I will repay you. I will take care of you, right? 
When your mind says, i got to seek out and seek vengeance, it says, no, I'm not going to give place to it. I'm going to trust God. And we said this at the end of the message, which I thought was something that the Spirit of God really said. Nobody can steal from you what God has promised you. So when we say someone did this to me and they hurt me and they really messed up my life, you're giving them power that they don't have. Because if God promises you something else, then they can't take from you what God has promised. So don't give them that power in your life and don't give that offense that power in your life. Choose to say, oh, it's nothing. God's got this. I can forgive them, right? But when we hold on to it, we're saying that's bigger than God's promise to me, right? And that's where faith comes in. Well, we've got to say, oh, I trust God. He's going to take care of me. And so we pointed out that embracing these qualities of love may seem like we'll never get ahead when we do this, but the Scripture tells us if we'll obey God and do what He tells us to do, He will bless us. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 19 says, if you are willing and obedient. Two criteria there, right? Willing and obedient. See, some people say, well, I forgive them on the outside, but I sure ain't forgiving them on the inside, Right? I'm still holding on to that grudge. Well, you may be obedient and forgiving them on the outside, but you're not willing in your heart to let it go. But what he says here is if we're willing and obedient, we'll truly walk in love and say, you know what, I'm going to bless them. I'm going to believe the best for them. I'm going to wish the best for them. I'm going to love them, right? You know what, if we'll do that, this is what he says, you will eat the good of the land. <laughs> That's God's promise. So what he's saying there is that if you'll just do it my way, I'll bring you. And here's the great thing about God. The, the scripture tells us the blessing of the Lord, it makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. No sorrow to it. See, when you have to vengefully get what is yours or fight for what is yours, then you're going to have to fight to keep it. Right? But when you allow God to bless you and you, you walk in trust in him and say, I'm just going to walk in love. I'm going to put others first. It may not look like I'm going to get ahead, but I'm going to put others first. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. I'm going to trust him to give me the good of the land. Then when you get the good of the land, you ain't fought to get it, so you ain't got to fight to keep it. Right? And so God promises us that if we will walk in love, we will not wind up in the back seat. He will chase us down and overtake us with blessings. You know the great thing about being in the back seat? If blessings are chasing you down, you're the first one to see them. Amen? I just got that one. That was pretty good. <laughs> and so today I want to talk about another aspect of this love. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8 says, And above all things have fervent love one for another. So that's interesting, first of all, if you just look at that phrase. He didn't say just have love. He says has fervent love. I mean, hot, passionate. I love this person. I got their back. I'm looking out for them, right? He says, above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. What that verse of Scripture says is that love, I mean, I'm just quoting it, right, will cover sin. <laughs> That when we choose to forgive others and we notice shortfalls in others, we make a choice to cover their transgression and not talk about it or broadcast it. Love says that I'm not going to put, notice it says love covers. So if you cover something, that means you can't see it, right? So one of the things we, that this verse tells us is that if we're walking in love, we choose to not see the transgressions and sins of others. Why? Because we made a choice to bury that thing by walking 
and love. Now, some people may have a problem with that. And I'll get to this in just a moment. Some will say, well, does that mean we never stand for the truth? We never recognize injustice? We're going to look at it in just a minute. But on the surface level, I mean, this is, how many of you believe you don't need to put a period, put a comma where God put a period, right? Or a question mark, even at that. It says, love will cover a multitude of sins. So one of the things that love does is it covers wrongdoings. It covers them. Love covers the wrongdoings and shortcomings of others. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8 says, for, in the Amplified, it says, For love covers a multitude of sins. It forgives and disregards the offenses of others. <laughs> it disregards. Everybody say disregard. What does that mean? It means you don't regard. So that means when, when, so, when we hear about the sin of someone else or, we, or we've been wronged ourselves by someone, and, and how many of you know that does happen, Right? It says we disregard it. We don't regard it. We say, I'm not going to pay attention to it. You want to know the reason sometimes people have a hard time forgiving others? Because they choose to keep thinking about it. They choose to keep talking about it. They're, they're still talking about things that happened 15 years ago that somebody did wrong to them. Right? But what the Bible says is that love disregards. That means we make a choice to remove it from our minds. Every time it comes up, we say, nope, I buried it, forget it, not thinking about it, not talking about it, moving on past it, right? Now, I can tell you, if somebody really egregiously hurts you, you have to probably do that 100 times a day, right? That's why Jesus said 70 times 7, right? You have to just keep bearing it. Say, no, I'm not going to regard it. I'm not going to regard it. I'm not going to regard it. Why? Because he can't, that, that, that offense can't take from me what God has already promised me. Amen? If we're going to be successful at growing in the love of God, we must be people that forgive the sins and gross imperfections of others and choose to completely remove the recollection of it from our minds. How uncommon, think about it for a minute, how uncommon would it be to be a group of people that never talked about the shortcomings of others. You know, I was thinking about that this morning as I was, um, you know, thinking about, you know, just the world around us. And, you know, I was thinking about the, you know, the Christian News Channel, right? Some people think it's the Christian News Channel. Fox News, right? Or Newsmax now because everybody's mad at Fox. Most of those news channels, all they do is report about the sins of others. Look what so-and-so did wrong. Look what so-and-so did wrong. And look what we got to do to fight this. And look, Right? Does that mean we shouldn't be aware of current events? Well, I'm not saying you need to be oblivious to what's going on in the world around you, but I don't even watch it. Can I just say it crap anymore? Why? Because it's divisive. It's just divisive. Whether you're watching CNN or Fox News or Newsmax or whichever, it's, it's divisive. The Bible says, and this is who God is, that God is love. It says love covers a multitude. It means it doesn't talk about it. It doesn't broadcast it. It, it disregards it. How uncommon would it be to be a group of people that says, we ain't going to do that. Somebody wants to bring up something negative. Right, let's talk about something else. <laughs> Well, if I say let's talk about something else, it might make them uncomfortable. Well, you're you, you comfortable with, right? We just need to walk in love. To be people that truly know God, we must walk in this specific aspect of love. So what that tells me is this, because it says if you walk in love, you know God, right? First John. 
So what that tells me is every time you choose to talk about the sins and shortcomings and offensive of others, you've just taken a step away from knowing God. Might change our dinner time talk after church today, right? <laughs> Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 9 says, he who, offer, who, he who covers over an offense promotes love. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. <laughs> Notice there, love doesn't repeat a matter. So when we choose not to talk about a matter, we're promoting, it says we're promoting God's love, but when we don't, we're being divisive. We'll get to devices in a, in a minute, but does, does that mean that we're supposed to lie for someone when they do wrong? No, it doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is, is that you're not the national inquirer. Inquiring minds might want to know what they did, but you're not the one that's going to broadcast it, Right? We're never called to lie for anyone, right? We're, we're called to declare the truth, right? But the reality is, is that many times when people are wanting to know what's going on, if you just said, you know, I don't want to talk about that. I have to talk about something else. You'd be better off doing that. Walking in love. We're choosing not to be the one. Now, why is this important? First of all, according to that verse, it separates. Talking about the shortcomings of others, no matter how minuscule it is, separates close friends. Broadcasting things about the, the shortcomings of others puts a wedge, first of all, in your friendship with them because you're reinforcing the thing that you don't like about them instead of forgiving them for the thing that you don't like about them, right? But it also, it not only does that, but it also uh, separates, the persons from the, separates the person you're talking to from that person. No matter how loyal they are to them, you are demeaning that person in the eyes of the other. And it's divisive, and it, and it separates. And so failing in this matter is hurtful to others, and it's hurtful to us. That's why our church policy has always been this. If you're a member of this church or you want to be a part of this church, anybody is welcome except for backbiters and gossips. If you like to talk about people and gossip about people, you could get up right now and leave. I will tell you that. Because it's divisive and it's hurtful. You know what? And I'm talking about talking about people whether they're here or not here, Right? You know, there have been many, many times where, where uh, over the, and I'm not talking about anything recent, but in the, in the grand history of, of the past of this church, I've had people, you know, they come in and they talk about, you know, uh, somebody leaving and, and I've had them even accuse me wrongly of things I'd never even did or said. And you know what? I just smile and I just walk in love and speak the best of them and love them and bless them and wish the best for them. Why? Because love doesn't talk about, love doesn't do that. It just says, man, bless them and help them do, do, do that. And isn't that what God does? Isn't that the nature of our Heavenly Father? Covering sins. He's about seeking people out and healing them and forgiving them, not calling them out and hurting them and destroying them, right? We see it in Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve first sinned, how many of you realize the first thing God did was He ran to them and restored them? Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. It says, at the moment their eyes were opened from the sin that they committed, they suddenly felt shame, they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now here's something I want you to notice really important about why you don't talk about, why you forgive others, why you recognize that even as we said last week, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and people that influence people to do things, Right? They certainly are the ones that have made the choice to do the things, but your, your problem in life is not people. 
Your problem in life is the enemy that influences people and blinds the minds of people from making good and healthy choices. And so what we find here is this in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7, and this is why this walking in love and covering sin is so important. It's so important. It's so critical. It says at the moment their eyes were opened, right? See, many people are making decisions and their eyes aren't fully open to the consequences of the decisions they've made yet, right? But when their eyes become open, you ever had a moment in your life where you did something in your past and you look at it now and you're just ashamed you even did it. You can't even believe you even did it. You're like, man, I, man, I wish that wasn't on my record. How I many you know because of the blood of Jesus it ain't on your record no more? But what that verse says here is when a person's eyes become open, something happens. They suddenly felt shame, right? So when we, when, when, when we see someone doing wrong, we want to allow God to bring them to a place where their eyes are open and they can repent. We don't want to just shame people, right? That's not the business God is in. Notice their eyes were open to their nakedness, but what did God do? He sewed fig leaves together, to co- so they, they sewed fig leaves together to cover them, but what did God do? G- Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Notice he was down there looking for them. Right? See, a lot of people think the nature of God, he's looking for you to get you. You know, if I, I, I ain't living right, you know, so I can't come to church, he's going to get me, right? That's their mindset. You want to know partially why that's their mindset? Because people have stood in bully pulpits and churches around the world pointing angry fingers of judgment at people instead of declaring the truth of God's word that God is willing to forgive and heal and restore if you turn from your sin. Right? And so here we have God coming down to the garden and walking in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves. Why? Because they didn't have a, they had walked with God all these years, but their shame changed the mindset of who God was. They were so upset with themselves that they thought God would be upset with them also. You ever had something you've done you just have a hard time forgiving yourself for? You carry the shame of that decision. And that's where they were at. They failed to realize that God loved them greater than, more than their sin. It says, and it says, and Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? How many of you know God knew where he was? <laughs> you think God played, hide, you know, I'd hate to play hide and seek with God, right? You couldn't win. <laughs> Which is really the truth in life as well. If you're running from God, you can't hide from him. I always, I remember when I was in high school and I wasn't making good choices and, I, you know, I always said, you know, the Holy Spirit's like a, a hound dog on the uh, trail of a, of a coon that he's chasing, right? I'd lay my head down at night and that old hound of the Holy Spirit was just gnawing on me, dealing with me, even in the midst of all my wrongdoing, right? Why was he doing it? Because you're bad. I don't know. It was because I love you. Got something better for you. Amen. And that's what he was doing. He was saying, Adam, where are you? He said, why? It wasn't like, I don't know where you're at. He was saying, man, come here. Right? Because that's the nature of who God is. Notice God sought them out when they failed, not to go get them, as some would think, but to heal them and help them. We're going to find that he actually provided a sacrifice for their sin and then covered their shame. 
Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21, it says, And also Adam and his wife, the Lord, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made, a, made coats of skin and clothed them. Right? In one verse it says animal skin. He took animal hides. Well, how did he get the animal hides, right? Well, he could have said abracadabra, you know, and, you know, be, right, and had animal hides. But as we read through the scripture, we see this precedent of when people sin, sacrificing an animal for their sin. Where'd they learn that from? They learned it from Adam and Eve. The first time they sinned, God sacrificed an animal, shed blood for them so that their sins would be forgiven. And then he clothed them and covered their sin so they didn't walk around with a constant reminder of, you really are a bad person. See, here's what sin does. Sin brings shame. And it's not the church's job to... To, to compound that shame by declaring how bad people are. Our job is to be God in the world, seeking them out to say there is a sacrifice available for you and there is a covering and a bearing of your shame that God wants to do for you. Isn't that what he did for the woman caught in adultery, Jesus? John chapter 8 and verse 3, as Jesus was speaking, you know, teaching, right? He's just doing his thing. Where was he speaking, by the way? You know where Jesus was speaking? was out on the hilltops, right? You don't find Jesus standing by the places of ill repute condemning them. You find him standing on the hillsides declaring the truth, right? It says, as Jesus was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. The heartless uncaringness to do that to somebody. And yet we see it all the time on Facebook and social media and, and news and everywhere else. Exposing the sins of others. Shaming them for their wrongs. So they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of that woman. Can you imagine how mortified she was? How much shame she felt over the decisions she made. No care for that whatsoever in the hearts of these people. But that's not the image of the life of a believer that we've been called to. We've been called to follow the great example of Jesus. John chapter 8 and verse 5 says, The law of Moses, this is what they said to him, to, says to Stoner, What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But I want you to notice something. Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. I just think it's, you know, there's been, I've heard people expound and tell stories. What did he write? You know, I would like to know what he wrote in the dust, but the scripture doesn't tell us, so I'm not going to suppose to know what he told us. But what I do know from that example is this, he just chose to focus his attention elsewhere. He might have just been drawing animals in the dirt, who knows. But he just chose to say, I'm not going to repeat this woman's sins. I'm, I'm going to cover it, I'm going I'm to disregard it. So he knelt down and he just chose to remove himself from the conversation. But people are relentless. Verse 7, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, yeah, you know, you're right. Let's talk about this woman's sin. 
That's not what he did, is it? He said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Here's the thing he was saying is, if you don't want your stuff uncovered, then don't go uncovering other people's stuff. Because I can tell you right now, from my past and just who I am, we ain't perfect. (laughs) And there are things about my life that I don't want anybody knowing. You say, oh man, my pastor, what's he got? All of us have things that we don't want people knowing. All of us have made choices we are ashamed of in our life. And what he's saying there is, is, if, is, is don't focus on telling everybody else their stuff and what they did. Why? Because I forgave you for your stuff. Aren't you glad he forgave you for your stuff? Whoo, I'm grateful for that. Then notice this. He stooped down again and wrote in the dust. He just said, I'm done with it. I ain't talking about it no more. We're not going to talk about our sin. Now, here's the interesting thing. Notice chapter nine, verse 9. It says, when the accusers heard this, well, they were cut to the quick, Right? They slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until Jesus was left. Jesus was left. Jesus was left. The only one worthy of accusing her, judging her. (laughs) He was left. Why? Because he had no sin. He was left in the middle of the crowd with this woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? You know what that tells me? It's a rhetorical question. He wasn't one of them. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And I I just love this. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. The beauty of God's love is this, is that no matter what you've done, how shameful it is, his response is always this. I don't condemn you. I forgive you if you're willing to return and repent of it and move on. Amen. He covered her shame. Don't you think that hearing that from him was like a, just a cold drink of water on a hot summer day to her? You imagine, you know, like I said, imagine the condemnation and shame she felt, but imagine the forgiveness and love she felt in that moment when he said, they're all gone and I don't accuse you. I love you. God loves you. And he's willing to give you a new start. Go, go, go live. Right? John chapter 8 and verse 12. Jesus, and then notice verse 12, he said this. This is right in context with this. A lot of times we don't read this verse in context with the story of the woman that was accused. But this is right in context, and it happened right after he said, don't, you know, go and sin no more. I don't, I don't judge you. Because there were still people left, the accusers left, but there was still a crowd there if you go back and read the story. And Jesus spoke to the people one, once more and said, I am the light of the world. See, a lot of people think light exposes darkness. No, light drives out darkness so you can't even see it. (laughs) I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. What kind of darkness was he talking about? He was talking about the shame that this woman carried for her sin. There are so many people walking around caring about the cloud of shame over the bad decisions they've made in their life, and they're trying so hard to make their life better. They're trying so hard to walk life out like God wants them to, but that shame is dogging them like a vicious dog trying to pull them down. And what Jesus said is, is if you come to me, I'm the light of the world, and you won't have to walk in the shame of your sins because I will forgive you. And it goes on and say, he won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. 
See, it's not the judgment of God that leads men to the life that God has for them. It is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. And that's the nature of our Heavenly Father. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12 says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. God is in the business of forgiving sins and removing shame. And that's the atmosphere we've been called to uh, replicate as a group of believers, to be a place where people can come and know they won't be judged, that we won't ridicule them, that we won't tell their testimony for them, we'll allow them the privilege of telling it when they feel like it's time for them to tell it, right? And we're just going to love them and forgive them like Jesus did. Now, does that mean as a church we're not to stand for truth when sin is prevalent in the world around us? Does that mean we need to compromise truth as the culture around us seems to be demanding that of us, right? To be accepting lifestyles that are ungodly lifestyles. That we should just accept sin as acceptable. I want you to notice what Jesus said to the woman. He said, neither do I accuse you. Then he said this, go and sin no more. Jesus still acknowledged sin as sin. Jesus still said, don't go. He called sin, sin, but he didn't didn't condone continuing to live in it, right? But he did it in such a way that said, I'm not going to judge you, I'm not going to broadcast your faults, but I'm going to let you know that with me there's forgiveness and a different way of life that will lead you away from darkness and into blessing. And it's contrary to the world's way of living. See, we're called to be a place like that, that stands and declares the truth. If the scripture says it's wrong, it's wrong. Right? See, a lot of people, I was was really praying about this this morning. A lot of people think they've been called to be John the Baptist instead of called to be Jesus. John the Baptist operated under an old covenant law where the law was the law, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, judgment for sin. And he stood in the highways and the byways, declaring to the religious leaders and the Pharisees. He wasn't declaring to the irreputables, as we would call, right? He wasn't talking to the prostitutes. He was talking to everybody, but he was declaring them, saying, you know, we've all sinned, Right? But Jesus came with a different message, and it was a message of forgiveness for our sin. See, John was just preparing the way for people, right? So we declare the truth. We, we, we say this is the truth, right? You, don't, you, you treat people with love. You walk in love. You don't murder. You don't kill. We, we, we hold to those tenets. We don't say that's acceptable to do that. But what we say is if you do fall short of the truth to which we're called to live, there is forgiveness found in Jesus. Right? And so we're called to tell the truth and be a soft place for people to land. Not a, a place, not a place where people can be comfortable in their sins. Jesus said, don't sin no more. Right? But why did he say it? Because it'll hurt you. If you play in the devil's backyard, his dog will bite you. So don't go sin no more. But if you do, I will forgive you. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9. He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. We are called to promote 
the love of God. Musicians, if you'll come with me. Come, 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 come. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one. Notice it doesn't say you which are spiritual, tell everybody what they did. Right? It says, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. So it says spiritual people, really spiritual people, they will seek to restore people instead of seeking to broadcast the sins and be divisive, right? And so we're to bear the burdens of one another, and part of bearing that burden will mean I'm going to bury that thing for you. I'm not going to talk about it. If you want to talk about the great testimony of how God delivered you, you tell it when it's your time to tell it. But for me, it's done, forgotten, and buried. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 21 says this, but if, a wicked, but if the wicked turn from all his sins that he hath committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Notice this, all his transgressions that he hath committed shall not be mentioned unto him. We are called to be people that provide a soft place for people to land when they become aware of the decisions they made in their life that have been hurtful. Right? Why? Because we've been there. <laughs> Amen? We've had to have a, we, we needed a soft place to land at some place in our life. James chapter 5 and verse 19 says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back. Well, how are you going to bring him back? By talking about all the bad he did? No. Pray for him. Right? You may not be able to physically bring him back. You may not be able to physically make a change. But, but you can pray and prayer works. Amen? Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over, cover over, cover over a multitude of sins. God is in the business of forgiving sins. That's what he did for the, that's the, that's the whole essence of the prodigal son story. <laughs> son sinned, lost everything, came to his senses, returned home, hoping he could be a servant in his father's house. Luke chapter 15, verse 20. So he got up and went to his father, the prodigal son. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Do you hear the shame in the choices that he made? But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let him have a feast and let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The son brought up his sin. The father didn't even acknowledge it. Didn't even acknowledge it. <laughs> he disregarded it put a robe on him and said, you ain't a servant, you're my son. Amen? Let's be like the father in this account. Just a few, few final verses. Let's be like the father and our father God. It says, who is a God like unto thee that a pardoneth iniquity? He will subdue our iniquities. 
and thou wilt cast all their sin into the depths of the sea. Love covers a multitude of sin. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you so much for your word. Help us be people of love, Father. Help us be people that exemplify all the things we've talked about up to this week, but also let us be people that exemplify that we are those that will cover the sins of others, will disregard, will bury them. We're not talking about lying and hiding. We're talking about just not judging, not talking, not broadcasting. And our minds not mulling it over and allowing that to form an opinion of that individual within ourselves. But choosing to be like Jesus and not be their accuser. But being one from whom they can find forgiveness and acceptance and love. And being one that gives them the time needed and the grace needed to come to their senses. I thank you for that, Father. Father, we just love you and I thank you so much for your truth. If there be anybody here this morning, you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. But you'd like to do that for the very first time. You're not sure whether you'd go to heaven or hell if you died in this moment. Because you've never had a moment where you actually know that you made a conscious, heartfelt choice to say, Jesus, I accept you. I bend my knee to you. I acknowledge that you did, you, you shed your blood for me, you rose from the dead, and I am calling you my Lord. I'm choosing to make a choice to follow your way of living. If you've never made that ch conscious choice in your life, would you raise your hand right now and say, yes, that's me. I need to make that choice. I need to do that this morning. Anyone at all? Wait just a moment. Okay? Maybe secondly this, and this is where I want to settle. I just really felt this as I was preparing this all week. The word shame. The word shame just stood out to me. Shame is a thief and a robber. And I just want you to know this morning that you don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to live in that darkness. God is not judging you. He's not holding your sins against you. He sent his son to forgive you of those sins. And number one, if you've never truly repented of those sins and you've come to your senses this morning, there is forgiveness available for you. But number two, maybe you've asked him for forgiveness, but the memory of that choice is just shaming you. God wants to set you free from that this morning. And as we sing and as we worship God, I'm just going to ask you to give yourself to his loving care and allow the master that said to the woman, I don't condemn you either. Just go and live now. And let the past be the past. Because in me, you find forgiveness and no shame. Thanks for listening to our Grace Family Church podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this message. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, we would love for you to get connected. Just go to gfcva.info to learn more about who we are, how to give to this ministry, or how you can get involved. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.